uh, the real, right? So you get, yeah, which you get also in Jules uh, 1, if anybody's read Jules 1, right? That's uh, Journey to the Moon, right? Yeah, you get all these, uh, that's science fiction, right? So the question is, how does uh, Gulliver's Travels Part 2 become close to science fiction and also close to mythology, right? And to the stories like Sinbad the Sailor and all that kind of thing, right? Yeah, so this giant bird, uh, are there giant birds like that? That's a question, right? But you have that in Sinbad the Sailor, right? And that's Arabian Nights, Sinbad the Sailor, all these kind of things. The flying carpet, the push of the man, Daniel and Nicholas, and here you get Gulliver's Travels. So this is some kind of the store that we have of literature, which we go back to again and again to use, right? Yeah, and of course, it's made credible, okay? Because he's talking about these giant animals and giant birds, and everything is big size, right? And of course, you have a part of the world where even the cockroaches are giant sized, right? And that's in the Amazon, right? It's not, that's fictitious, totally fictitious, right? Maybe the human beings or the, uh, the huge human beings are, you've heard stories about the yak and the yeti. Yeah, the yak is almost uh, extinct, right? And they're trying, I think the last time I read something about it, they were trying to revive the yak from the DNA just as they do uh, uh, this thing in Jurassic Park, right? Uh, the movie Jurassic Park, right? So I actually had read some where they were trying to, uh, they found some DNA of, uh, of a yak and they're trying to get, uh, isolate the, the genes and uh, create a yak out of that DNA, right? I don't know whether it's going to be successful, right? Because these are uh, the mammoth, the woolly mammoth, Right? Yeah, and the yak, uh, the ancient yak, Tibetan yak, yeah. So you're talking about the Yeti, and the Yeti is probably a fictional creature, and it's just like the Loch Ness monster, right? And many people say they've seen the Loch Ness monster, right? And a Loch Ness is in, uh, the, uh, the idea of the Loch is a Scottish term, right? And we know about Scotch whiskey, that Scotch whiskey uh, is the kind of whiskey that gets a peculiar flavor because of the waters of Scotland, right? Yeah, and uh, the, that's why we use water in Scotland because there are different kinds of water. And anywhere, uh, if every different lock, lake is lock in Scottish, right? Yeah, that, and that's become an English word, right? And any lock you take has a different kind of flavor to the water and that's how Scotch whiskey gets different flavors, right? I'm not on a serve whiskey. I don't even care for it, right? Yeah, and I wouldn't be able to make out, uh, not because it's of COVID or anything of the sort, I wouldn't be able to make out what's the difference between uh, one whiskey and another, right? But a connoisseur whiskey will be able to make out the taste, right? Yeah, so we have this idea of the Loch Ness Monster and uh, that's still going on in the news and that's been from the time I was in uh, in school, right? The Loch Ness Monster and people talk about how it's, uh, it's still there and uh, the people try to photograph it, paint it, I don't know whether, so the idea of is it real or is it, a big, or is it fancy 
oil, yeah, all those kind of stories come up, right? And uh, so when we're talking about the ideal size, the question is, we're talking about giant size things, right? And uh, we must remember that people actually believed uh, that still we have Galileo Galilei and all those kind of people, people actually believed that the earth was flat and around the earth, uh, or the four corners of the earth, as Dan uh, puts it, right? You have huge monsters, and that's why people are scared about going to the edge of the earth, right? You fall off the earth and all, all that with flat earth, earth believers. Till you have people like Christopher Columbus, okay, who wandered out and uh, they got to a new world or a different land, right? Yeah, so uh, that's part of the tradition in which Swift is writing, right? That's part of the tradition where he's talking about the idea of going to this land and this is a land where, you, and he's giving you maps, right? And you say, on this land, we already have these kind of people, right? Whether there are some people like that, we don't know, right? Yeah. Uh, whether they're miniature-sized people, we don't know, right? Yeah. And uh, that's why it's in the realm of fiction. And that's why when we go back to the first uh, encounter that with the, with the writer, we have this long treatise which is saying, that Gulliver is reliable, people consult him, he's not a person who's out of his mind, nothing of the sort, right? Yeah, so when we come to chapter 8, etc., right, uh, you have this whole idea of the love of the country, and he's talking about the houses of parliament and how the parliament, houses of parliament are constructed, right? How the laws operate, and the king has a lot of objections, and the king is taking down notes, right? Yeah, so the idea of the king as being an educated man, as being a, a person who cares for the subjects, that's an idea from Plato, as you already know, right? And that's the idea of the philosopher king, right? So the idea is the king has to be a very educated person, the king has to care for the progress of the people, right? The king has to care for the least of the subjects, right? So these are ideas that we get from Plato, and we already know about that from the Republic, right? Yeah. And of course, uh, he's also talking about uh, yeah, books among us written upon the art of government, right? Now he's referring to people like Locke and like, uh, uh, what's the name? Hobbes, right? Uh, I think uh, Locke is about a contemporary. Yeah, but Hobbes is before him, right? Yeah, and we're also talking about uh, politicians like uh, Machiavelli, right? Yeah, and the idea of uh, Machiavelli's Prince uh, and the dialogues, right? Those are things that were uh, before uh, uh, Swift, right? And what is interesting about this is that when we're talking about the art of government, right? It's the idea that the princes or the kings should be educated, right? In India, we have uh, this book which is called the Hitopadesha. Right, which is full of animal fables, right? But is meant for the kings. So the kings have to learn how to rule, right? And that's extremely important, right? And that's why, and of course, Swift does it so that he can go and tell the English about uh, the problems that they have with their own government and their own government talent, right? So we're talking about the systems of government, 
And what is interesting over here is we are talking about governmentality and the king has objections to the way the government is run, right? I think we had uh, done all that, okay? And uh, when you talk about the end of it, we are talking about how he's yanked up on a ship, right? How the box that he has is uh, taken up, right? And how he, how they look into the box, etc., etc. So that's one of the things that happens to him. Okay, and he keeps. He says that he's kept some of these things so that people see them as artifacts, right? So that you actually have these things from uh, a land which is totally different, right? Now, at one level, as post-colonial subjects, and as the idea of uh, coloniality actually takes subjects from all over the world that's not only with the modern colonialism but that goes back to the colonialism of the Romans right where they had people uh, from Africa from uh, different parts of the world which they uh, colonized they would take them back to uh, Rome right and uh, yeah and that's that's when uh, Shakespeare's uh, rendering of Cleopatra is so important because she doesn't want to go there as a uh, as a showpiece of a colonial power, right? So she's actually taken. She says, "Some native Cleopatra will buoy my greatness," right? And then she's that's a comment on Shakespeare's play because they were boy actors, right? At one level and at the other level. It's also a comment on post-coloniality because the idea of taking the king or the queen of a country and to the, uh, to the empire so that they made almost nothing, right? Yeah, so you have this question of here I am the king but when I'm taken as a captive and I'm taken as a slave, right? Or I'm taken as a curiosity, right? And that's what happens to many of the colonial subjects. I think I've told you about this woman who was taken from Africa. I've forgotten her name, maybe you can check for it, right? Who was very short, who had a very big bottom, right? And that's why they put her in a cage and she was thrown around in Europe, right? As a phenomenon because she had a elephantine memory, right? Yeah, so all these kind of things are taken up and that's how the colonial subject is treated. So you put them in a cage, right? It's not a cage of the COVID-19, right? But it's a cage uh, because COVID-19 has put everybody in a cage all over the world, yeah? The Hamlet kind of perspective, right? I'm sorry I didn't say that yesterday, right? Yeah, because for Hamlet, the whole world is big prison, right? Yeah, I should have said that, right? Fine. Okay, uh, so is that okay? And uh, so he's talking about the cables, right? And you're talking about uh, big cables and cables are these huge kind of metal uh, ropes, right? A cable is a metal rope, right? And it's it's got all these iron, uh, 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 iron, what's it called? Iron threads, right? It's made composed of iron threads and it's like a huge rope which yanks you up and that's how he's yanked up, right? And that's what a, sh a ship has at that point of time. Yeah, so anything that you want to say or anything uh, we have to look at? Yeah? 
Yeah, now how do we look at it in history of literature? That's a question. Yeah, and uh, the exam kind of nonsense, right? So what are the kinds of questions, right? You can have the narrative, compare the narrative structure of part one and part two, right? So that's important, right? So you can compare the narrative structures and you can see how the narrative structures work, okay? And what are the similarities and differences between the narrative in part one and the narrative in part two, right? The one, the entry and exit, which we get from Aristotle, the beginning, the middle and the end, right? So that's one, right? Uh, so both, both, so would you like to do this on your own or would you, would you want me to do all the stuff? Yeah, because people are quiet. Yeah, all the people who have problems are me not starting the text. Now I'm not even, I'm too frightened to do part four and five, uh, three and four, because people will say, well, that's not in the syllabus, right? And that's, uh, yeah, that's as bad as it gets, right? Right, so anybody has anything to say about the comparison? Will you be able to manage that on your own? Yeah, the narrative, compare the narrative of part one, the narrative structure of part one, and the narrative structure of part two, right? Do you think that you can do it? Yeah, can anybody or anybody has a problem with that or you want to discuss it? Yeah, please discuss it. No? Otherwise, I'm just talking to a screen where I see P, Q, R, and T, and K, right? Yeah, somebody's talked about the question of K in the Indian Express today. Yes, yeah, yes. What is this? Yeah, right? Yes, please discuss it. Yeah, anybody has anything to say, right? Yeah. Yeah, please, please have a discussion. Anna says that we want a discussion. So let's have a discussion. So please bring up the points. We've done the text. And even if you have not done the text, if you've come and just listen to the lectures, you'll be able to talk about what are the comparisons between part one and part two. Yeah. Oh, let's start from the end. At the end of part two, what is the difference between at the end of part one, right? Or what is the similarity, what is the difference? Yeah, please. I mean, I don't want a silent class because what's the use? Then I'll leave it to you. Right? If you want a discussion, you have to take part and you're not, well, yesterday you showed me uh, that, or showed all of us, that you had a lot of talent, so please open your mouths, right, and begin saying something, yeah, right, no, uh, instead of putting it on the chat, let's have it open, and so we can discuss it, I can read it also, when the hunter becomes a hunted, uh, when the hunter becomes a hunted, what's that? How Balafa is also so huge in size in part one and how he's so small in part two, size is so relative. That that is obvious and we've already done that, right? Yeah. But the, the question is if we talk about the beginning, the middle and the end, right? Size is definitely there because part one is talking about the Lilliputans and part two is talking about the the big uh, the big enders or whatever you call it, right? 
And of course, there's, a, there's an innuendo over there of the little enders and small enders and big enders, right? Yeah. So that's, that's definitely there, right? What else do you think about it? Yeah. What is the difference? So I, uh, yeah, go ahead, please. Yeah, say it, say it. Put on your mic and speak. You can put on the mic and the, uh, the camera also. What happened? Is there some confusion? You're going to speak? Yeah. Is that, is that so much of a problem? Is there so much of a problem? Yeah, come on. Say. Yeah, never mind. Just go ahead. Can you, can you move, move a, yeah, can you move a little away from the mic because it's too loud? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how other people are feeling. Maybe I'll reduce the volume. Yeah, fine. I will, I will reduce the volume for me, but I don't know how it works for other people. Yeah. Yeah, try it. Yeah, it's better. It's much better. No, a narrative is a sequence of events. 
Yeah, it's not a series of events. Yeah. So Maybe because in a, in a narrative we see that there is a chronological order, that's why sequence. Yeah. Yes, a chronological order and how is one part linked up to the other. Otherwise it's not a narrative. Do you get that? Yeah. Yeah, so this is fiction studies. So the question is, uh, and many people are bothered about this linear kind of narrative which we have. Right? So that's why you have Rushdi, you have uh, D.H. Lawrence, your Joyce, okay, and you have theorists like Gadri Spivak, right, who have this kind of a circular style, right. So one is, uh, yeah, yesterday we talked about Harun and the Sea of Stories, right, and the idea is you begin from a point and you come back to the end and then you take off again and you go back to the end and you have all these circles that you go, right. So the question is, when you're talking about a narrative, it can be circular and it can be linear, right? And uh, people like Kamala Das have tried to break, uh, in fact, I have an essay called break, Breaking the Sequence, Breaking the Sentence and Breaking the Structure. I don't know, I don't remember the name of it, but I'll find it and give it to you, right? Because uh, when we talk about narrative theory, and that's primarily what we talk about when we talk about fiction, right? So fiction is talking about the narrative. How does the narrative work, right? Yeah, and that's the most important thing, whether you take film theory or you take uh, theory of fiction, right? So the, the uh, and of course, we go back to a man who talks about drama, and he talks about drama calling it poetry, and that's Aristotle, right? So the idea of the beginning, the middle, and the end, that's a very important part of the idea of fiction, right? Now, uh, you have talked about uh, the idea of the sequence, right? So whether you take part one or part two, right? Uh, you can change the sequence. Yes or no? You can, yeah, part one, two, three, four, that will be the sequence. Uh, the series, right? The series one, two, three, four, right? Yeah, so can I change that? So can I make two, one, and one, two? And what do I have to do?
Yeah. See this, right? Are you taking it down? A number of things, events, or people of a similar kind or related nature coming one after another, right? Even a series is saying it's coming one after another, but something that's related to each other, right? So you have a series of bottles, a series of cups, right? And all those are seeds, right? Yeah. Uh, uh, related nature coming one after another. The exposition was the latest in a series of accidents. He gave a series of lectures on modern art, right? Now, yeah. So the idea is a series is just these episodal narratives. Do you get that? Yeah, if we are talking about narrative theory, yeah, does that make sense? Or it no? It is definitely yeah. The series, a number of things, events, or people of a similar kind or related nature coming one after another. Yeah. Right. So what would be the the, the, se the sequence would be connected, no? right? A series of lectures. I gave a series of lectures on art, right? Yeah, so it's one of a kind, but then doesn't mean that they're connected. You get that? Yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll give you the sequence. One minute. Yeah. Each part can be read independently and that's exactly what our syllabus makers have taken advantage of and only given us two parts. So we can't read it as a novel. Yeah. So is this a novel? That's a question of, again that is coming up, right? Because we have to talk about, well, it's called a novel. It's called fiction, right? So fiction is a little better than talk, talking about it as a novel because fiction is also a short story. Yeah, so that's, uh, yeah, I'll just give you the sequence. Yeah, sequence, a particular order, right? Yeah, uh, in which related events, movements, or things follow each other, the content of the program should follow a logical sequence, right? I think the catchword is logical, right? In music, a repetition of a phrase or a melody at a higher or a lower pitch. Biochemistry, the order in which amino acids and nucleotides residues are arranged in a protein. Yeah. The second meaning, a set of related events, movements or things that follow each other in a particular order. A grueling sequence of exercises, a sonnet sequence. Right? Now we go back to the sonnet. And we talk about the Corona sonnet, right? Because we're talking about the coronavirus, right? The Corona sonnet, right, is uh, in, a, in a sequence, right? And if you look at uh, Dunn's Corona sonnet, right, the first line and the last line have an echo, and that's how it's tied to each other, right? So it has to be in a circular way. You get that? Yep, so we're talking about a sonnet sequence. Right? Do we see a sonnet series? Yeah. Now, 
Does it become clear? What is the difference between a sequence and a series? Yeah, yeah. I hope I hope I made it a little clearer. I said yeah. So that's a a grueling sequence of exercises, right? Like for instance, if you are doing yoga, you might begin with the Surya Namaskara and end with the Surya Namaskara, right? If you're really or the Surya Namaskara itself is a sequence, is not a series. Yes or no? Yeah. Yeah, so you have to have one which is in the beginning and one which is in the end and you begin and end at the same position. And that's a circle. It's a, it's a sequence. It's a narrative if you want. Right? Yeah? Uh, uh, a part of the film dealing with one particular event or topic, a famous underwater sequence. Right? So that's, the un uh, that's talking about a part of the whole sequence. Right? Yeah. So, uh, and this is uh, this is an underwater sequence. Right? Now, uh, how does it relate, and how do we deal with all this uh, when we're talking about the idea of the narrative? Right? And uh, if at all it's in a sequence, right? If part one, part two, part three, and four are in sequence, right? How do we put them in a sequence? Right? So, uh, one is it can be chronological. Right? This day I left, this day I came back, this day I left, this day I came back. So that's how one and two are connected to each other. So that's when it becomes sequential. Is it okay? Right? I stayed at home for so much of time, right? And then I was just restless again and I had to go and uh, do all those kind of things. Right? Uh, yeah, I think uh, we take this thing called the Bible, right? Which is interesting because how is the Old Testament and the New Testament linked up together? Right? There's something called prefiguration, right? And of course, the Bible was not in sequence. It was a whole lot of books that were collected, right? The Old Testament, the Pentateuch, and the what's the other one? Talmud, uh, right? Yeah. So they all collected together, right? So what is the today called the Bible because people might contest it and they said well many books were not included, many books were included, all those kind of things and uh, the book of Job and the book of what's Ecclesiastes yeah of course you have to deal with Ecclesiastes when you do a Hemingway right, uh, these are questions, how do they come and all those kind of things right, yeah, so we are talking about how does a person connect the New Testament with the Old Testament and the Old Testament is full of different series, right? Yeah, it's, it's a, a whole lot of different uh, things that are put together and they built a sequence out of it, right? Yeah, and that's of course a great work of this man called Jerome who puts all this down and is not even written, written in the same language. It's different kinds of languages which he translates into uh, the Vulgate Latin, right? And he, he moves around or he gets people to move around, I think that's more uh, sensible to think of, right? From Egypt to uh, Palestine, and he gets all these stories uh, uh, together from the Hebrew and from the different Arabic and Aramaic and all those kind of things, right? And puts them down together, right? But the most important thing he does as a literature person is he's actually showing that the New Testament is connected to the Old Testament. Right? And he's doing that in a very clever kind of way. 
bread. He's taking Isaiah and he's showing what Isaiah has prophesied. He's coming true as symbolically in the in the New Testament. Right? So Isaiah says, How will you know the Messiah? He'll be riding on a donkey. Right? And he has got abnegation, the most severe abnegation. You can see the mark of sin on him and all that kind of thing. Right? Yeah. So the second bit of the Bible is put together with all that kind of stuff. Right? Yeah. So when you read it, you say, well, this is what this man says, if you are a reader of literature, right? And of course, uh, I took the Bible seriously only after I met uh, uh, my teacher, Ode Kumar, who's just now, uh, he was the head of the department uh, in uh, JNU, right? Yeah, he's professor still in JNU, right? And uh, I rejected all that because at that point of time, I said, well, why should we get into all these fundamental things? And he was teaching in Dostoevsky. And he was talking about the idea uh, of Dostoevsky's reading of the Bible, right? Which is interesting because Dostoevsky was actually uh, condemned to the Russian, uh, that's in the time of the Tsar, right? He was condemned to this idea called the Long March, right? Through Serbia and the prisons are in Serbia and most of the people in the Long March, they died. Right? Yeah, of course, uh, the people who are on the long march in India after the coronavirus, many of them perhaps have survived, right? Yeah, because uh, we don't have those kind of terrible, terrible Russian winters, right? And most people in Serbia would actually die because before they reach the prison, right? Dostoevsky is one of the people who didn't die and he reached the prison. He was supposed to be killed, but he got a, uh, he got a pardon from the Tsar just before he was being shot. He actually they put the, the guns to shoot him down, right? Because he was called uh, he was actually what you call a nihilist, right? Socialist. Socialism hadn't really come up, right? The idea of socialism. Uh, so they are already if you read Dostoevsky, he'll say uh, these people were called nihilists, right? But what is interesting is uh, these people, just before they went into the, des uh, the Siberian desert, people used to come with water and food and give them a Bible because they're going to die, right? So you might as well read the Bible and die, that kind of thing, and you might have, as well have food and water because in the long march you might die on the way, right? So that's that's when they told me that look, what Dostoevsky has done is He's actually taken the Bible up and showed that a very complicated kind of reading can happen, right? I think I sent you this idea of uh, which a student sent me, right, about the Catholic Church and uh, yeah, something like that, which is very interesting because it's got uh, a very interesting prose writer who died recently called Christopher Hitchens, right? He's a Marxist, uh, atheist, right, and he's a very, very powerful writer. Right? And the other one is a living writer called Stephen Fry and all the other people are church people and uh, members of the uh, parliament etc. So you can look at it. Uh, yeah, and all the arguments are brilliant. Right? So please look at it. Right? And you can see how they work. Right? Yeah, so uh, what's, what's the point that we have to make over here? Right? He brings up this idea of, I think it's Stephen Fry in that thing that I sent you this morning. Right? He's the one who says, if Christ had come here to the world today, right, uh, the very church would take him and uh, he wouldn't even be able to, to uh, get into this kind of church because they've got all these kinds of 
uh, different kinds of prejudices around it, right? Yeah, so, so that's a very, very strong kind of critique, right? Which is not new, and Dostoevsky already gives it, right? Yeah, so you're talking about the great inquisitor, right? And he's actually talking about how the church is this kind of uh, establishment, which is as bad as the establishment of religion in Christ's time, right? So that's the circle. That's a circular kind of narrative over there, right? Okay, fine. Now we're talking about this idea of, uh, when we're talking about uh, uh, the idea of the sequence, how do we look at both these parts, part one and part two, right? What is the narrative sequence, right? The narrative sequence in part one begins with the idea of Gulliver being tied down. He lands on an island and he's tied down and that's how all the travel narratives begin, including by Robert Louis Stevenson, right? Treasure Island, if you've read that, right? And you also have Lord of the Flies, which fall into this kind of travel narrative, right? Yeah, and uh, yeah, Lord of the Flies is about a plane crash, okay? And not a shipwreck, right? So that's important and it's still a it goes back to the sequence of travel narratives. Robinson Crusoe, a lot of the flies, uh, Coney Island, all these kind of things uh, go into these kind and that's the whole series of what you call uh, travel narratives. You get that? Now is series and sequence important? Right? Yeah. We can't say that we can draw a comparison between Gulliver's Travels and uh, uh, Lord of the Flies, right? Or we can we can talk about travel narratives, right? Where we put uh, Gulliver's Travels, Robinson Crusoe, Lord of the Flies, uh, uh, what else? Uh, Coney Island, right? Uh, Treasure Island. All of them are a series of travel narratives. You get that? Clear? Right? They're not interconnected per se, right? They're not written by one person. But we have we might look at them and say, these are the, this is the way travel narratives operate, right? I lose my way, I land on the show. We have a shipwreck, we land on the show. We have a plane crash, we land on the show. That's how your travel narratives normally begin. Yeah? Or you, uh, yeah, you also have one, one sequences, uh, yeah, that's the first market as I read. Uh, I leave strong in other stories, yeah? Yeah? So it's talking about, uh, and you have Golding also writing another one, uh, which is called. Five ago? No. Yeah, I read, I'm sorry, I've forgotten the name of the thing. No, but it's very interesting because uh, it's talking about this. Uh, I've forgotten the name of it. It's about a person who's shipwrecked, right? Yeah? And he goes under the water and comes up and holds the things, right? The fire down below, I don't remember, right? So uh, maybe you can read all these uh, different uh, ideas of travel narratives which talk about shipwrecks, right? And of course, a lot of the flies is a na travel narrative and that's when it goes awry, right? So you have a plane crash and then you have all these things on the island and all these kind of things that happen. And we must remember that these are people who live on islands, right? Yeah, these are English people who live on islands and that's why the island becomes so much, uh, so important for them, right? And the idea of discovery of another island, and that's something that's common to all the series of travel narratives, right? So, 
the discovery of another island, another another kind of very strange uh, kind of uh, place, right? Yeah. And some of them talk about the plants, some of them talk about the animals, okay? Or in the order of flies, you get this idea of uh, some kind of creature is over there, right? And the whole idea of the beast, right? And the, the idea of the beast, of course, is uh, what we call Belzebub, right? Or the Lord of the Flies, right? Yeah, which is actually imaginary. And who is the beast? And where is the beast? The beast is in human beings, so that goes back to Hobbes, which is talking about, who's talking about the Leviathan, right? Yeah, so, uh, yeah, so all that circularity of travel narratives is very important, right? So you might, you might like to think about uh, uh, Lord of the Flies as a tra travel narrative, right? And you might also like to think of uh, Gulliver's Travels as a travel narrative, right? And uh, the idea of going out, and you have Moby Dick, right? That's an American uh, uh, kind of uh, travel narrative, right? Uh, and all these, the idea is how do these all go arrive, yeah? And of course, you have the movie Titanic and the actual Titanic, Right? And that again is based on the same kind of narrative. Right? So when you talk about the narrative structure uh, and you talk, talk about this whole thing about the Titanic when you take the 1942 version or the, the newer version, right? Uh, yeah, the, uh, the, what's this called? Uh, yeah, the newer version that we have, right? So uh, when we take all those narratives, this is how the narrative begins. Right? And that's when we study narrative theory and the narrative begins with saying goodbye, going off, a great voyage, a new ship, all those kind of things. Right? That's how the narrative begins or it might begin in media's race and suddenly you, uh, you're on a plane or you're on a ship and everything goes wrong. Right? So one it can begin with the journey, I'm leaving the place. Right? Yeah, and the second one is, it can begin with, I'm found in this place, my ship is gone, my plane is gone, I'm found away. Right? Yeah, there's another movie called Lost in the Desert, yeah, which uh, is somewhat similar, right? Yeah, so you have all these uh, travel narratives which have this idea, either they're leaving a place, right, or in the middle of the journey, something happens, right? Yeah, and you might have some train narratives also, the murder on the Orient Express and all those kind of things, right? We're already on the train or something like that and suddenly you find all these murderers around and who murders whom, right? Or it begins, that's a murder mystery, so it begins with a sequence from the end to the beginning and that's the narrative of all detective fiction, right? So normally in detective fiction, right, and of course my teacher used to say that uh, Oedipus Rex is the first kind of detective fiction because you have a plague around the place and then we try to find out who is responsible for the plague because they may believe in somebody has committed a big sin or a big crime and the gods are uh, very angry, right? Yeah, so that's how you begin with it, right? And that's how your detective fiction begins, right? You first have a problem, you first have a murder, you first have a robbery, right? And then after that, you try to piece the evidence together and make a narrative sequence over there. Right? Yeah, so the so I've shown you uh, two sides of it, right? So you have the chronological order, and it's not only about chronological order, it can begin from the beginning and it can begin from the end, right? 
please go and see the movie Gandhi if you have not seen it. It begins with the death of Gandhi. Right? Otherwise, what do we have in the movie? Right? It begins with the death of Gandhi and it's a very important part of uh, narrative, right? Uh, the death of someone, right? And of course, that's a movie. You have a play uh, called Edita by Andrew Lloyd Webber. It's a musical, right? And it begins with the funeral scene, just like Gandhi begins with the funeral scene, right? Uh, it, uh, here it begins with the funeral, uh, with the, uh, the death of Edita Peron, right? And uh, the funeral procession and all those kind of things, right? Yeah, of course, the Indian version is supposed to be better than the London version, right? Uh, the name is Edita, E-V-I-T-A, right? Yeah, by Andrew Lloyd Webber, right? In India, Sharon Prabhakar acted as Edita, right? And Avik Pagamsi put up the play. I don't know if you'll get it over there, right? And yeah, it's made into a movie. The same thing is made into a movie. And Madonna acts uh, Edita, right? Yeah, so that's about uh, Latin American politics and uh, this woman called Edita who becomes the vice president of Argentina, right? So you can go and see it, uh, yeah. So I don't know about the movie, I've not seen the movie version, but I've seen the play, right? Uh, yeah, so it, the idea is what are the narrative sequence, right? What are the, how does the, how does the narrative open, right? And this goes back to Aristotle. So Aristotle is talking about drama in the poetics, right? He talks about the middle, the beginning, the middle and the end, right? And we have something called in medias race when we study Paradise Lost, when we study uh, all these kind of things, right? A lot of, a, a poem can begin like that, right? And uh, where do we start? Where is the, the, uh, the beginning of the novel, right? Yeah, so we're talking about the sequence of events. If you read a, a CD, a book like uh, David Copperfield, right, or Oliver Twist, right, David Copperfield is what we call a Bildung's Roman, right, and David Copperfield is this novel of growth and it begins just like an autobiography and an autobiography is also a sequence of events, right, yeah, so uh, look at uh, Peeps' diary, right, yeah, and look at an autobiography. Right? So Pips' diary doesn't say when he was born, all that kind of thing, right? But there is a, a sequence and you find that strange because it begins on one day and ends on one day, right? And the first is this whole idea of his wife being important, right? Or his wife not being able to produce a child, actually that's the giveaway, right? Because you don't read the first entry in the diary, you don't get the sequence of why he's going on with all the sexual escapades, right? Yeah, and that's... So maybe they're connected, maybe they're not, but the diary is not supposed to be connected, it's supposed to be a series, right? Yeah, and the connection is the writer has to draw connections, right? What is our job as literature students? We are supposed to draw the connections, right? In your essays, you are supposed to draw the connections, right? And how do you read literature? If I cannot connect this to that, this is a lot of memory work, I read the first part, I will read the second part and I have to draw the connection between the first and the second. Right? Now that's a technique that we learn when we read. Right? When we read literature, when we watch a movie, the idea of the narrative sequence is important. How does it begin and how does it end? Right? Could I change the beginning? Could I change the ending? Could I put the ending in the beginning and the beginning in the ending? 
right? So that's something that you might like to think about, right? So when you begin with that, uh, with uh, David Copperfield, it begins with I was born, right? And it ends with uh, his love affair and all that, the first love dying and he gets uh, another woman and he marries her and all those kind of things, right? Yeah? So you, you get the sequence and repeat it because the, the person that he marries also dies because of childbirth, right? And then he gets married again and all those uh, kind of things happen, right? And you get that also in Great Expectations, right? Because you have the series, uh, uh, this uh, the narrative which uh, actually takes you right through, right? And uh, it goes on to uh, how one bit is linked to the other, right? Yeah, so you can, and that's still in the Bindung's Command form, right? Uh, yeah, so uh, when we talk about Swift's narrative, right, we're talking about the first part and the second part, beginning with landing on a night, right? The second part is also connected to the first part because it says, well, I got restless, right, and I wanted to go out again, and that's my nature, right? Yeah. So that's how it begins, and then my wife saying goodbye, my children saying goodbye, all those kind of things, and then I land on this island, and there's a similar kind of shipwreck and all that kind of thing, right? So that's how it's uh, similar, right? Yeah, and of course, when you look at the ending, right, you get uh, what, it, what else is similar? You have a king in all, in both the narratives, right? Yeah, you have a king, you have people in uh, politicians. You have kings uh, and you have people, right? Yeah, so those are uh, the common people, right? And of course, uh, the, the second narrative begins with the common people, right? And the common people who are not hostile, okay? The first part begins with common people who are hostile, right? And have tied him down and put him onto the ground, etc., right? And the second one begins with these gentle giants. And even the dog is gentle because you could have had crunched him up and had a good feast of him, right? Yeah, but he doesn't, right? So that's somewhat different from the first narrative, right? And of course, it also tells us about the human being, right? Some people are threatened, right? And if you are small, you are threatened, right? Okay, uh, and that's exactly. Uh, when we're talking about our own country and people are talking about their might and glory, the ancient past, the ancient, the, the to be future, and they're talking about the chest sizes and all those kind of funny things, right? And you find that they're so threatened, right? Yeah? So that's something that is interesting, okay? And here you find the gentle giant and you find the small pygmy who is trying, sorry, I don't mean pygmy as a pejorative term, but a little person, or even that is a problem to talk about today. You can't use the word black, you can't use the word pygmy, you can't use the word little person, right? Because you, you can't talk about them in a prejudicial manner, right? The, the idea of the dwarf is again a problem, right? Because it's, today we don't use it to be politically correct, right? Yeah, so he's talking about the, the, the people of Lilliput, right? Who are threatened by him, okay, physically threatened by him first, right? And I don't know if they are intellectually threatened by him at all, right? Yeah, that is something that doesn't come across, right? Yeah, and uh, they're, and the idea of 
uh, he's talking about or so in the in the narrative large parts of the narrative in the first part are about the idea of smallness and size right yeah smallness and size meticulousness in working how many people are employed in working is talking about numbers right it's talking about smallness of size and is talking about many people right yeah does the second narrative do that okay is there so much of numbers right so that becomes another issue right and the question is how do you use how do you look at number and size right so uh, the idea of uh, strength and how do you look at strength and numbers right so that's something that is looked at in both the parts okay and what he does is he's also talking about the education he's also talking about the politics he's also talking about uh, the expense right and the idea in the first part is that he himself is an expense right he is uh, what uh, in colonial terms would be called the white man's burden right yeah that is india and the colonized countries right actually were the white man's burden and that's how they look at it right so that's uh, kiplingist and it takes you into all those kind of areas where we're talking about uh, how do you maintain this right yeah of course how do you maintain this huge expense like a giant and it costs so much to the exchequer right so that's something that is thought about even today whether you take the king or you take the ministers right yeah or you take even the people who are uh, the old people the old age pension right and you uh, I, i was watching one of these bbc series where they had an issue about uh, this unwed motherhood right uh, of course in the time of hardy right just about 100 and odd years ago right you have the idea of tess who is an unwed mother right and a single parent right and that becomes a problem right uh, about 100 years later that's not a problem that's a right yeah so just look at how dynamic a world we are talking about right so in 100 years time things change and things change very much because uh, in 100 years later you have this idea of the prince uh, the Uh, the unwed mother right having a right to be a mother right demanding um, a pension uh, a kind of an allowance from the government to bring up her children right that's today's world right yeah and the the taxpayers have a problem with that right because the taxpayers say we have worked all our lives we have to be looked after in our old age right and our, our taxes are going up to look after people and they actually go around finding the man because very often as a feminist and as a modern person uh, a woman says well i don't even know who the father is right yes that's the kind of position today right and uh, what is interesting is a lot of people try to find out who the father is right and that's what uh, there was an agency or uh, some people said that the government agencies were doing on this trying to find out who the father was right uh, not in the uh, the Oscar Wilde kind of in, uh, a woman of no importance right but they actually find out who the father was and want him to pay up right pay up to the education and to the upbringing of the child 
right? So that's the economic angle, and which we get over here also. The question is, how much does this man cost us, right? The second one, they don't really say how much it costs us because size, yeah, as somebody said, yeah, size doesn't, uh, size matters, right? And you think that this is a small size and doesn't cost, right? The costing, of course, is also important, right? Because when people think about bringing up a child and a baby is not cheap anymore in a post-capitalist world, right? We're all living in a post-capitalist world, right? And uh, looking after a baby is not uh, for a middle class or so-called educated uh, community, right? And with what you call uh, medical facilities, etc. And uh, yeah, so that's not easy at all, right? And you find the cost going up. The cost for raising a child is not cheap, right? Uh, you have to pay for uh, feed. You have to pay for baby food, all those kind of things, right? Unless uh, you're very progressive in the sense that you say, well, I'm not going to use all this kind of artificial stuff, right? I'm going to get only boiled vegetables and boiled gram, etc., and feed the baby on that, right? Maybe some people would want to do that, right? So even then, uh, uh, the, the, the costs go up, right? Yeah? So does a small person cost nothing? Or does a cat or a dog cost nothing, right? Yeah, and some people think of that, right? Because the idea is that you are morally obliged to look after the person, right? Yeah, and when you find a giant, maybe you say, well, I will look after the giant. Right. Uh, yeah, I, I, you might say, I will look after this huge animal like the idea of a horse, right? And when you get the horse replaced by a car or a jeep or a tractor, that's what happens in India, uh, when you have mechanized farming taking place, right, and you slowly get rid of the bullocks. Of course, the bullocks are still used in India, right, as to plow fields, etc., in some parts of India, but you get a tractor, and the idea is the tractor doesn't keep eating when, uh, when you don't use it. Right? It uses fuel only when you use it, right? And when you look at a cow or a horse uh, which you use to plow your fields, right? You have to keep feeding them constantly, right? Yeah? And uh, that is important. Yeah, it's uh, a time. Can I take a minute or two, right? I just got two minutes by this, not even two minutes, right? Yeah? So the idea of cost, right? Uh, in the second part, maybe the cost don't count, right? or it looks as if they don't count, but actually they do, right? And you might like to look at the two parts and compare them, yeah? So can you go back and think about all the comparisons and the contrast that we find between part one and part two in the narrative structure, right? Uh, so that uh, we can have a good discussion tomorrow and I shouldn't be the only one talking. So please come and you all take over the place and you uh, start talking, yeah? Thank you and I'm closing.